So, <clears throat> I'm not going to move to the next slide before I'm going to say a few words that are not necessarily the sermon. Can you hear me, by the way? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was walking Amos today for sleep, for his noon nap, and I end up on the sidewalk across the street from the police station in the center. And in front of me, two ladies come along. This is around 12 o'clock. Two ladies come along towards me. One of them, tall, skinny, an African lady, all smiles, very happy. The lady with her, dressed in black, kind of short in height, not very happy. They're talking. The, the, the tall lady, she's all smiles. And they're coming along, and when they're like right next to me, with a loud, beautiful voice, she says, the African lady, she says to the other lady, why aren't you all coming to Jesus? And she's intently looking to the lady, waiting for an answer. And I thought, that's my sermon. One question. Job, why are you doubting me? Job, why are you questioning me? Job, why aren't you coming to me? That's my sermon for today. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Now, it's going to be a strange sermon, just so you know. As you know, we're in uh, Job 38. 39. Uh, in chapter 37, Christian spoke about that passage last week. Elihu stops talking. And in 38, God's, God starts to speak to Job. And what God does, if you've read the two chapters, he draws Job attention, Job's attention to nature. And the way he does it is by asking question after question after question after question. Two chapters of questions. Let me read to you a few of them so that you get the flavor of how Job must have felt. And I would really love it if you, sitting here, would get these questions as, as if God asked you personally all these things. Here are a few. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Joseph, not sure. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? 
Have you entered the storehouse? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? Have any of us sent thunderbolts across the sky? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds? I could try, I am loud, but I could not manage. Could you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? This is, this is, this is one on the edge of, the, of absurdity. Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Do you give horses their mind? So Job. Now, what should we, or what should Job and what should we, when we hear these questions, feel? You should feel something. It's either stupid and nobody talks like that but insane people or it's God. What we should feel is, you are small. What you should hear is, you don't know anything. All the books in the world are one millimeter in creation. What should we do then? We should humble ourselves before the Lord. I mean, I'm standing here, it just feels extremely awkward saying this. But we should all humble ourselves before the Lord. No microphone, no speaker could help us accomplish any of those things, no matter how loud we scream, because we're small. As I was saying at the beginning, hear God in this short message, I'll try to make it short. Hear God saying, why are you doubting me? Why are you questioning me? Come to me. Why? Because I created snow. Job 38 Verses 22 and 23, God says, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the time of battle and war. So, today, tonight, this afternoon, in this warm day, we're going to talk about snow. And we're, we'll, I will try to answer the question, what is God saying in the snow? And my first point right off the bat is, because I already mentioned it. God is saying in the snow, when the rain, the wind, the storm, the tornado, hurricanes in Pennsylvania and in the U.S., humble yourself under the mighty hand. God. I make it snow. 
Not you. Have you ever wondered as a kid, where is snow coming from? How is it even possible to create snow? God has infinite storehouses filled with snow. This is like that image of the robe of his train coming down from the throne, filling the temple. This is, this is the same place. So this is why I chose to talk about snow. Because it's something so common. It's one of the most common things. You, you see it outside, kids playing it. Nobody wonders, what does this say about God? What does it? But still, snow, it being so common, teaches us something very, or some things that are quite important. So, when you think you're proud or when you think you're in control of something, just think of snow. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Is anybody in this room, show of hands, don't do it. Is anybody in this room who doesn't need to be or doesn't need to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God? You know, science, science could say so many things about so many things. But they, but, they, but they cannot describe the storehouses of the snow. So, as I said, this is the first point of the sermon. What is God saying in the snow? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. We control nothing, so we should just worship Him. We are dependent on God for everything. Like Jesus says, John 15, 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And how many times do we not behave like the exact opposite of what this verse says. We depend on God for everything. The problem is, every single heart in this room, including mine, doesn't like to declare that it's dependent on God. <coughs> That's the problem. Right? Now, um, in James chapter 4, there's quite a weighty word about arrogance. Because, and I'm talking about arrogance because arrogance is the exact opposite of humility, right? The first point was humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And arrogance is the exact opposite of that. It's the exact opposite of this. So let me read to you James 4, verses 13 to 16. Just follow along. And... Take this as a test. See if you are arrogant. Because arrogance shows itself in this text in a very surprising way. So let me, let me read it to you. Follow along. Come now, you who say, 
today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and try and make profit. Imagine a salesperson. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. Now the question is, what is the arrogance in this text? Where is the arrogance? Today is Sunday, right? Arrogance is thinking on Saturday morning that you know what's going to happen on Sunday afternoon. And we all do that. Yesterday morning, no, Friday night or evening when I went to bed, I didn't think I'm going to wake up to a message saying, He is dead. We didn't think that. My wife's grandfather died during Friday night. So arrogance is thinking on Saturday that you know what's going to happen on Sunday. Nobody knows that. But the author of snow. That's the arrogance. And it's not a small thing when people come to you and say, so... What are you going to do next week? Or when we, when we leave this place, take notice. Everybody says, have a good week. It's not a small thing to say and think, if the Lord wills, I'm going to have a good week. Right? You don't have to say it always, but it should be a law in our hearts that should rule in our minds. That when we wake up in the morning to give God everything. Because we don't, we don't rule the week ahead on Sunday evening. Only God does. It is arrogance to think you have figured out next week. Right? And this is, this is the second point. The second answer to the question, what is God saying in the snow? Don't be arrogant. Depend on me for everything. Your kid's going to school. I'm in control of that. Now, let's turn back to Job for a short while. I mean to Job 37. Let me read to you a passage about a thunderstorm of which we're not in control of. It goes like this. I, I only pointed out these two verses because that's what I'm going to focus on. So just think that while I'm reading. But also pay attention. This is uh, Job 37, 1 to 13. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go, 
and his lighting to the corners of the earth. After it is vo- after it is his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that he cannot that we cannot comprehend. Verse six. For the snow, for to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour, his mighty downpour, he seals up the heaven, he seals up the hand of every man, that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens, for its chambers come to the, comes the whirlwind, whirlwind, and cold from the scattering, scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commends them on the face of the habitable world. And now pay attention. Why he does all that? For correction, for his land, or for love, he causes it to happen. For correction, for the land, and for love. He commands the rain, the thunder, the lightning, the snow, the frozen waters. How does that work? These will be my next two points. I'm only going to focus on two of those. On correction and love. So, let's look at correction for a while. Now, correction could be applied... To God's enemies and God's children. God has things He wants to stop or change or not permit to happen. The falling snow, the storm, the cold, the wind, the rain, the lightning, the hurricane, all these things do that. Stop people in their track. Whether they should do something or whether to keep them from something being done to them. Now I wonder whether when you leave your house and something comes up and you cannot leave anymore, you think, well, maybe God kept us from an accident or kept us from sinning against somebody else or stuff like that. Let me read to you Hebrews 12, 5 to 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. So the snow on the ground is either the rod of punishment or an instrument for correction, depending on which of the two folds you are, enemy of God or son of God, child of God. As I was hinting at just before, Many of us grumble when 
things come up in our lives that ruin our plans. Like for example, you happen to find yourself in a wasteland and there's no water for 40 years. What do you do? If you don't know the story, you're probably thinking, he's nuts. You go and you hit on a rock and you drink, right? You don't grumble. Job, Israel, Marius, right? I was actually thinking, uh, th this is something we do without thinking, actually. But I was thinking about it. You know when it's sunny outside, we call it good weather, right? When it's raining and it's windy, especially in Denmark, there's a lot of that. We call it bad weather. Who do we think we are? Everything that the Lord has done is good. He called it good. We should be very careful. Now, an illustration of correction. We're still on the correction point. Uh, when Vivi and I came to Denmark, this is 2010, 10 years ago. Um, what a wonder. We've been here 10 years. In almost, in a few weeks, we'll celebrate that. Anyway, we came here in Denmark, to Denmark, 2010. Um, my first job here was a newspaper boy delivery type deal. It just happened, it started on December 6, 2010. And it just happened, it was one of the worst winters in Danish history. A lot of snow, powerful winds, very low temperatures. And I was on my bike at 4 o'clock in the morning. First morning, I cried my eyes out in an intersection because I couldn't move my bike. There was so much snow. And I was supposed to finish until seven. I couldn't finish. So, correction? Maybe. Most probably. How about love? This one is short. And it will be a strange point to some of you, but it's relevant and powerful nonetheless. Now, do you feel love when you see snow? I would love it if you nodded one way or the other. Do you feel love when you see snow? The verse says that you should. I should rest my case there, right? Because it is one of the three reasons why God gives snow. Correction, love, and the land, whatever that means. Just so you know, I didn't choose land because I didn't know what to say. Love and snow are not uh, necessarily complementary concepts, let's put it like that. But let me read to you something. It doesn't really belong to a sermon, but you'll get the feel of it, maybe. This is a poem called Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening. 
I don't remember if I had a slide. So that was point three. Snow is a reminder you need correction. Just, just follow along. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, within the woods and frozen lake the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there's some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. The snow made this poem. The love that Robert Frost, who wrote the poem, the love he felt in the snow is what made the poem. So if Robert Frost, who didn't love Christ, felt loved through the snow, how much should we feel loved when we see snow? And there's another reason why you should feel loved when you see snow. Because God says you should, that we should. I'm one of those kids, Vivi is very different from me. When I was a kid, if they said, sit down for three hours, I would sit for three hours. If the Bible tells me, look at the snow and feel loved, I feel loved. Now that I have the Holy Spirit. So, recap. What is God saying in the snow? Snow is a reminder that He loves us. Point five is found in uh, Psalm 148. Let me read it to you fast. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him, all the heights. Praise Him, all angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. And you waters above the heavens, let, the praise, let, pray, let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded them, they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He, has, he gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Pay attention. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail and snow. And mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruit trees and all sitters, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, and on and on and on it goes. Praise the Lord. So again, praise the Lord from the earth to great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail and storm and mist. How does snow praise God? The sea creatures do not have a language to praise God with, or do they? 
the fire, the hail, the snow, the mist. They don't have a mouth, they don't have a heart, they don't speak. How do they praise God? Because God asks it. He says, snow, praise me. Sea, praise me. Storm, praise me. Thunder, praise me. Right? So what does God mean? And I, I really hope that you all have categories in your hands to understand this. The world does not understand this. We as Christians should have a special category in our minds where a brick praises God. Just like the deeps of the ocean praise God. What God means is that all the creatures of the sea, the sea, the snow that falls on the ground, the sea, the mist, the ice, the wind, the rain, the hills, the mountains, fruit trees, apples, right? All are echoing, echoing back to God, back to their Creator, His majesty, His beauty, and His glory. They mirror back to God that He is God. So when you look at the snow, see and hear it mirror back to God His glory. And the question you should be asking yourself is if, if the sea, if the snow, if the apples, if the orchard are praising God and echoing, mirroring back to Him His glory, how much more should I do it? Because I have this and I know who He is and what He has done for me. And finally, last page, we're done. Point six. So, point five was, like all creation, echo back to me my glory, says God in the snow. And finally, point six. Let me say it um, from the start. The Lord is saying, the snow I created is an illustration of my power and purity. Let me read to you Isaiah 1, 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Every single winter, when there is snow, God provides a preview, a foretaste, an illustration of the power and purity of His Son's blood. Here in this verse, He does two things. One, He invites us all to Him, to think, listen, and talk. And number two, He does the second thing. He invites me and you to look at the snow and hear Him promise you and us salvation by grace.
purity. Do, do you know that each individual snowflake is built around a speck of dust? This is science, this is not Google. Every snowflake is created, just like every raindrop is created, around a speck of dust. So just imagine God looking down. He takes a speck of dust and he clothes it into ice. That's who God is. We are the speck of dust and Christ is a snowflake built around us. If we believe in Him, that's what this verse says. Though your sins be as scarlet, which is red, they shall be white as snow. Jesus' blood, when it washes us, doesn't make us red, it makes us white. So, this message is an invitation. So this message is an invitation to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Not to be arrogant, but depend on Him for everything. It's an invitation to remember that snow is an image of the fact that I need correction. That snow is a reminder that I need to be, that I am loved by God. Snow is, or through the snow, God tells me that I need to glorify Him because I'm His. And finally, every winter is an illustration of the power and purity, purity of Jesus Christ. And you know, when, um, when God is done speaking to Job and Job's awaited upon to say his final word, we all know, well, some of us know what he says, right? I repent. So, when you look at the snow, repent. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we stand amazed at who Jesus is. Everything is about Him. To Him, through Him, and for Him were all things created. Us included. So when we go away from here tonight, and we're alone in our rooms or in our beds. Remind us of this, Lord. No matter who we are, we should live a life that honors Him. Help us ask ourselves, how did I live today to honor Jesus? How can I live tomorrow to honor Jesus? How can I echo back to Him his glory. Help us through your spirit in that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever.